0: Hello, it's good to be back. I am Mark Jarrett, and this is the Marxism Podcast. My podcast, my isms, my rants, my ideas, but the world's stories. For this podcast's very first episode of 2018, I wanted to start things off on a positive note. So what better to do that than to talk about the Doomsday Clock? Yes, this is something I've actually wanted to talk about all the way back in 2017, when the clock was two and a half minutes to midnight. But I'm glad I held off, because now, in 2018, it's two minutes to midnight, which means the threat of an apocalypse has just gotten closer. It hasn't been this close to a disaster since 1953. Sad. Now, to kick things off about the Doomsday Clock, for those of you who don't know what it is, always best to start off with some historical context. The Doomsday Clock was created in 1947 after World War II, shortly after the United States dropped the very first nuclear bomb on another country in Japan. As a response, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, also known as BAS, which is how I will be referring to them throughout this episode, created a clock that represents the threat of global catastrophe, Armageddon, whatever you want to call it that threatens human existence. The way it works is simple. Midnight means the end of civilization where we become incinerated instantaneously, and the farther the minute hand moves away from striking midnight, we live another day and we can wipe the sweat from our forehead. The BAS claims that the answers to this seeming anomaly are that the doomsday clock captures trends and takes into account the capacity of leaders and the societies to respond to crises with reasoned actions to prevent a nuclear holocaust. Now, without going through 70 years of what time the clock has been, there are a few significant dates. As I said before, there has only been two times when the clock has been two minutes till midnight, which is the closest it's ever been to midnight. Once in 1953, when the United States and the Soviet Union both tested hydrogen bombs during a time when the Cold War felt a little hotter than people would have liked. And 65 years later, now in 2018, when there has been strong rhetoric from the United States and North Korea about the use of nuclear weapons, along with more countries than ever having nuclear weapon capabilities, as well as the threat of climate change. That's right, in 2007, the scientists of the BAS said climate change is a factor with the clock because, well, I don't know, maybe it's because it determines whether the planet is habitable or not? Now, some of you may be wondering, since the clock's existence, when has it been the farthest away from midnight? Well, that goes all the way back to a great time where in 1991 Nirvana's Nevermind was released, Saddam Hussein was still the Iraqi president, America was actually appreciated for its war efforts, and mullets were no longer fashionable, making it responsible for being 17 minutes away from midnight. Or it could be the fact that the Soviet Union collapsed, reducing their chances of using nuclear weapons, and that Freedom Monster Trucks, Big Macs, and country music were darn awesome, making America number one. But... Is the doomsday clock really that accurate? For example, in 1962, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, when little communist Cuba had nuclear missiles from the Soviet Union pointed in the direction of the United States, it was one of the closest times in history for nuclear war to possibly break out. And thanks to the concept of mutually assured destruction, also known as MAD, it didn't. During this time, the doomsday clock sat at a pretty chilled out 7 minutes to midnight, which to me seems pretty tame for what could have actually happened. Another time that this happened, that many people don't talk about as much, was in 1998 during the Kargil conflict between India and Pakistan. During this time, as the conflict escalated between the two countries, U.S. intelligence received information about Pakistani nukes heading towards the border between the two countries. In response, India was also believed to have moved its nuclear missiles towards Pakistan as well. As things were running hot in the region, in typical American fashion, to save the day once again, former U.S. President Bill Clinton tried to deter Pakistani President at the time, Nawaz Sharif, for not pressing any big red buttons. Otherwise, there would be dark consequences. As Pakistan was facing diplomatic isolation and disdain and an ever-increasing risk of conventional and nuclear warfare as a result of what Pakistan was experiencing on the world stage, Pakistan decided to withdraw from the Cargill Heights. The stakes for this conflict, in my opinion, were far greater than the Cuban Missile Crisis as India has a population of over 1 billion people, while Pakistan has a population of around 170 million people which obviously could have resulted in an extraordinarily high number of casualties. And during this time, the doomsday clock sat at 9 minutes to midnight. With two countries, who are ranked in the top 10 for the most populated countries in the world, this incident was considered a lower risk on the world stage than the Cuban missile crisis. To me, that's a bit of a stretch. So what about now in 2018? Are we really two minutes to midnight? Is the world really that close to a global catastrophe? Well, the answer to me is yes and no. When the report came out saying we are two minutes to midnight, most people associated it with Trump's rhetoric in the direction of Kim Jong-un, where Trump has said North Korea will be met with fire and fury, while on the other side, Kim Jong-un said he will turn Washington and Seoul into flames and ashes. Even the BAS said that in 2017, the greatest risks of last year came from the nuclear realm. This, of course, would make mainstream media and the public believe that nuclear warfare is the most imminent threat, but that's doubtful. In all reality, the possibility of nuclear war breaking out is extremely unlikely, and here's why. North and South Korea are both in peace talks with China, so dialogue is always a good thing. And if nuclear warfare was to seriously happen anytime soon, the global markets would be plummeting, especially in South Korea, but they haven't, and instead they have been going up. Also, Kim Jong-un knows that if he were to ever launch anything at the United States or its allies, he wouldn't have a country. And in fact, they do recognize this. In many of their propaganda books, they explicitly say their philosophy and strategy against the Americans. We are like an anthill against an elephant. We can't kill the elephant, but we can get it to move where we want it to. So claiming that the increasing possibility of nuclear war is responsible for the proximity the doomsday clock is to midnight, despite what the BAS says, to me is nonsense. There are many other threats to the world that can have massive ramifications. Something that is tied to nuclear war, but not entirely, is the threat of cyber attacks. The biggest chance of a nuclear warhead going off in the world is not from a world leader giving the orders to launch a nuclear warhead against another country. It is hacking, it is cyber attacks, and as a result, cybersecurity being the issue. But even with cyber attacks being connected to nuclear warfare, other things are more likely to happen. Many countries around the world, like Russia as an example, use countries like Ukraine as a guinea pig to hack into entire power grids and shut electricity off, and this doesn't just affect people's homes. It affects things like factories, banks, and other prominent industries and institutions, which ultimately affects a country's livelihood. By shutting down factories and banks, as an example, you are preventing a country from making money off of manufacturing and preventing them from being able to do simple transactions, which can affect the productivity and economy of a country. Another example of this in the nuclear realm is Israel. Israel is one of the top countries in the world in terms of technological capabilities, and the Israeli Defense Forces have one of the most protected and powerful cyber intelligence units in the world called Unit 8200. In fact, you may have heard from back in the late 2000s, I believe, about a computer worm called Stuxnet. The purpose of this worm was to basically hack into the Iranian nuclear program and to wipe out approximately a fifth of Iran's nuclear centrifuges. However, it is important to mention that they did not destroy the centrifuges, but instead delayed Iran's ability to enrich uranium and from developing their first nuclear weapons. What was so effective about this worm was that it made it look like everything was running normally on computers, but behind the scenes, these worms were ripping through centrifuges. And you can be sure that Israel and other countries have been modifying worms and finding out other ways to break down systems of countries that threaten their interests. Examples of what Russia has done and what Israel has done has shown to be extremely effective in causing problems for other countries. Cyber attacks have the ability to damage entire sectors of economies, delay nuclear development, and the ability to cause damage to infrastructure could arguably be more catastrophic instantaneously than the possibility of nuclear warfare from happening. Even the Israeli defense forces have gone on record to say that cyber attacks that target civilian infrastructure would be more damaging than missile attacks. While cybersecurity is a massively growing issue that is actually spoken about on the BAS website in regards to having the ability to to increase the chance of nuclear warfare and damage infrastructure, when it comes to mainstream media having covered the doomsday clock recently, they just talk about Trump and Kim Jong-un. No real examples of what could actually cause nuclear warfare. And overall destruction of cities and countries like the cyber attacks I just mentioned. Now, something that has been mentioned briefly in regards to the clock being two minutes from midnight, but is still overshadowed by the words of politicians, is climate change. With Trump and North Korea and the media so much, we have ignored much of what is happening in the world in regards to the environment. Hurricane Irma last year, the most powerful storm in history, which created the fastest winds ever recorded at a slow 298 kilometers an hour, destroyed a considerable amount of the Caribbean. Cape Town in South Africa is running extremely low on water due to a drought that has gone on for years, and is believed to be the first city ever to have nothing left in their water reserves. Even Western Europe recently got hit with its fastest winds ever recorded from a storm, and the stories keep on going. And of course, it's never been easier to travel through the Arctic due to the melting of the ice caps. These stories last for as long as the storm lasts, which is maybe a week or so, and when it's over, it's over. But it doesn't take a genius to notice that these storms are becoming more frequent and more intense. So while much of the news is swallowing up this looming threat of nuclear warfare, they are occasionally mentioning some environmental disasters going on like the things I just mentioned above that can and are seriously affecting large populations, and they're affecting them right now. This is actually the most imminent threat at this current time that is killing large numbers of people, creating more mass mobilization of people due to areas becoming increasingly inhabitable, which leads to more refugees." And a lot more refugees. If you think that the refugee crisis in Europe a couple summers ago was devastating, well, if things continue at the rate they are, by the year 2050, 600 million people are at risk of displacement due to climate change. And of that 600 million, 200 million people are estimated to be guaranteed to be at risk of displacement. That is roughly 10% of the world's population affected. These stats are something that aren't mentioned enough and is clearly a much more pressing issue than what the BAS is saying about the clock being moved 30 seconds closer to midnight due to what's going on in the nuclear realm. So how do we reverse the doomsday clock? Well, like I just announced a bit up top, in regards to the nuclear realm, countries like North Korea have been working on their nuclear development for years, and they will not give it up, even if there are sanctions. North Korea still has stockpiles of material saved up in order to go through with it because they know they will be sanctioned at some point. Nukes are the main lifeline to preserve the country. It's what is preserving the Kims, and what do the Kims want? to survive, and keep the Kim name alive, so starting a nuclear war with the United States is not the best way to do that unless he wants to go out in a serious blaze of glory. North Korea is kept alive by behaving in a manner that gets the world's attention. They behave for their vested interests, which annoys the US, and it's an effective strategy. If they annoy the US, the US wants to talk to them. The US wants to know what their objective is, and usually it's money. As an example, in 1994, Bill Clinton gave $4 billion to North Korea in an effort to try and dismantle their nuclear program. It obviously didn't work. Remember a key part of their philosophy that I mentioned? We are like an anthill and they're the elephant. We can't kill the elephant, but we can get it to where we want it to that's their strategy. If the Kims want to survive, which they do, they can be contained by the countries that surround North Korea that fall under the US defense umbrella, making them not as big of an immediate threat as they're made out to be. In regards to cybersecurity, frankly, there isn't much that can be done about that. Countries are going to continue working on their technological advancements in order to achieve what they want. The other problem with restricting cybersecurity and technology is that you can't do it. It's not just state actors who can do damage. Many non-state actors cause plenty of problems, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Also, once a particular piece of technology is out there, like a variety of different types of malware, it's pretty hard to stop. You can't go back. There is simply no regressing, because other countries will want to develop something to combat it. But with climate change, a lot can be done. You can talk about how countries differ on the topic, particularly in the United States, in regards to the Paris Agreement. But like cybersecurity where non-state actors can cause some damage, non-state actors can make a big difference with climate change. This isn't a new message whatsoever, but depending on the food you buy, the car you drive, or don't drive, purchasing of overall general products, the companies you invest in can all have an impact on the environment, and that is something we can do in a collective effort to try and reverse the doomsday clock. And that right there is probably the most actual Marxist thing I have ever said on this podcast, but in terms of what the average civilian can control, they are the things I listed above, which will be able to have an effect on climate change rather than cybersecurity or nuclear warfare, which could help reverse the doomsday clock. And environmental security is something I will be trying to talk about more on the podcast this year in regards to how the world will deal with mass mobilization of people, the different roles militaries may take in order to help, the costs of environmental destruction, and of course, what around the world is being done. And there are some things that are being done. All right. Well, on that note, it's time to wrap things up before the doomsday clock hits midnight, and I'll never be able to release this podcast. So, as always, follow, rate, like, and subscribe to the Markson Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. And until next time, I am out of here.